This is Ringler Radio, where you get all the latest news and information about the structured settlement industry from the experts in the know. Ringler Associates, the undisputed leader in structured settlements for more than 30 years and the only broker you need. Ringler Radio is made possible in part by the life markets that issue structured settlement annuities, including Allstate, American General Structured Settlements, The Hartford, Liberty Life, MetLife, New York Life, John Hancock, and Prudential. Now join Ringler Radio host Larry Cohen. Welcome to Ringler Radio. I'm your host, Larry Cohen, head of Ringler Associates Northeast Operations, and we're glad you could join us again today. Well, we're coming to you today from the 2009 Ringler Associates Annual Meeting out here in sunny Newport Beach, California. And uh, having come from New England uh, yesterday, I can tell you it's a, it's a nice respite. Today on Ringler Radio, we're going to explore trucking litigation by looking at the different phases of a case from beginning to end. And we'll also give you some expert insight on the big differences between trucking and automobile accident litigation. And to help me do that today is my colleague and co-host, Anne-Marie Von Bank. Anne-Marie is a newly elected member of the Board of Directors of Ringler. Congratulations, by the way. And an associate in our Minneapolis, Minnesota office, where she manages operations in the upper Midwest. She has over 17 years of experience in both the insurance and legal fields and has focused exclusively on structured settlements since joining Ringler in 1999. Well, I yeah. forgot you came to us in 1999. <laughs> that was pretty, that's pretty good. Well, Amory, I'd like to welcome you again to Ringler Radio, and thanks again, and congratulations on your role, as I said. And again, joining us uh, today is our special guest, attorney Peter Kessner from the law firm Crawford & Kessner, headquartered in the Twin Cities. Peter has a diverse practice that includes truck and auto accidents, personal injury, wrongful death, as well as business and corporate law. And before co-founding Crawford and Kessner in 2003, Peter worked for 10 years as a claims adjuster and litigation manager with one of the largest tractor-trailer insurers in the U.S. So that gives you a pretty diverse background there, Peter. It sure does, Larry. Well, thank you, and welcome to Ringler Radio. Well, thanks for having me. Well, Pete, tell us how you got started in trucking litigation uh, at all. How did it, how did it happen? As you mentioned previously, I was with uh, one of the larger commercial insurers in the country, and that's how I first got exposed to trucking claims mm-hmm. and trucking litigation. Um, and as my career developed, obviously, uh, we get more into legal aspects of the claims. Um, and I've dealt with plaintiff lawyers all over the country in my insurance days. Um, and that's when I decided to go back to law school. I said, hey, if these guys can do it, I know I can do it. I went back to law school. After I finished law school, I went back to the insurer I was with um, and handled claims for them. Most mostly was an ex- excess insurer at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in 2003, I just decided to hang a shingle and switch sides, uh, and I haven't looked back. I think you saw those paychecks were a little bigger on that side, <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> Hey, Pete, can you tell us how are trucking cases different from regular auto cases, you know, other than more damage than, than auto cases? Right. Well, there, there's several major differences. And the first one is the amount of insurance that trucking companies are required to carry um, by the federal government mandates them uh, to carry at a minimum $750,000 liability insurance. So, that's one major difference. Some mm-hmm. states, uh, personal autos aren't even required, like Wisconsin. You're not required to have auto insurance if you have a clean background. So that's one major difference. You're, you're talking with larger exposures. Um, and another main difference is 
Trucking companies are governed by the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration, which is uh, the government entity that's in charge of regulating the trucking industry. And they probably have a thousand regulations they need to follow in their daily operations. So aside from you and I getting up and getting in the car every morning and obeying the stop sign and the speed limits, truckers have a whole checklist of stuff they need to do before they can even get in the truck. I'm not. I'm not sure. Have you ever seen Emory Drive? I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't think you follow all those rules. <laughs> I, I've heard, and that's why I stay away from. It. <laughs> well, Pete, why don't you take us through the steps an attorney should take as uh, as soon as a trucking case comes through the door? Right. What, what steps do you take? Well, as a plaintiff attorney with experience on these cases, the first thing you want to do when you sign a case up is obviously find out who the trucking company is who is hauling the load. And there are websites you can go to um, that the federal government has. Uh, one of them is www.safersys.org. And that's the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration's website of all the trucking companies in the country who have operating authority. And you can go on there, and there's chock full of information on there. You can get where they're headquartered, how much insurance they have, who they're insured with, how many trucks they have on the road, what their safety rating is. So that will give you a little primer about who you're dealing with on the other side. Once you know who the trucking company is and where they're located, you want to send out what's called a spoliation or preservation letter. I was just going to ask you about that, Pete. What What is the significance of that letter? Well, under the federal guidelines, trucking companies are required to keep certain documents of their day-to-day operations for certain time periods. Let's take, for instance, driver's logs. Um, they're required by the federal rules to keep those logs for six months. For those of the audience who aren't familiar with trucking litigation, truck Truckers aren't allowed to drive or be on duty for more than 14 hours in any given day, and they have to log in a little book uh, precisely their movements throughout the day, how much time they're in the truck, how much time they spend at the truck stop or sleeping in their sleeper cab. They have to write down all those movements, and the trucking companies, by regulation, have to keep those documents for six months. What's what's the significance of all that information? Well, for instance, let's say... um, a case walks in the door and it's a fatality case and driver may or may not have been over hours. Mm -hmm. Let's say you find out on the police report that the guy was fatigued. Okay. So what I'm going to do when I get the case is send out the spoliation letter telling them, look, you need to preserve these driver's logs beyond six months Mm -hmm. because there's litigation pending. If you don't send that letter by law, they can destroy the logs. Yeah. Then I have no record of proving, hey, this guy was over hours and tired when he was driving. Interesting. Okay. If you send the letter and they don't preserve it, then we can get an instruction, maybe a trial, that the documents would have had an adverse effect on the litigation for the defendant or the trucking company. Therefore, judge, please instruct the jury that he was over hours. Well, I, I'm sure that there are a lot of uh, things that truckers have to do uh, and, and maintain information and logs about it. What about these on-the-job restrictions truckers have to follow? Right. The main one, and again, these regulations only apply when there's interstate commerce or transport going on. And that, uh, the legal term is you you really have to look at the nature of the commodity that's being hauled. So just because it's going from point A to point B within one state doesn't mean it's not interstate commerce. Mm -hmm. 
they look at the nature of the load and say, well, was the load going from point B to point C in a different state? And if so, then it is interstate commerce. But that triggers these regulations. Mm. Um, and a main regulation is hours of service, how long these truckers can drive in the truck every day. And the current rule is they can't drive for more than 10 hours, assuming they've had eight hours rest prior in the prior day. They can be on duty for 14 continuous hours, but on duty doesn't necessarily mean drive time. That means they could be waiting for the, the truck to get loaded and things like that. And again, that assumes that they've had their eight hours rest on the prior day. So, so Pete, for example, if somebody has to be eight hours on the road uh, and then sleep, how do, they, how do they keep track? They have to log that into the book? Right. They have a log book, okay? And they're supposed to log down each time they stop or if they're driving for six hours, they'll write down that they drove for six hours and where they had driven from and to, okay? The interesting thing about these is a lot of truck drivers carry two sets of logbooks. And we found that out in discovery in some cases. They've got the set of logbooks that are in compliance with the rules that they show the, the state troopers, um, or if they're randomly inspected, that's what they show. And then they have a real set of logbooks, which usually reflect where they've been and what they've done. And more often than not, they're over hours. It's just the nature of the industry. Uh, they need to move this stuff from point A to point B as fast as they can. Right. And if they don't, they're not making money. Exactly. Is it is it true, Pete, that state troopers are required to check logbooks at the way stations? Right, they are. Here in Minnesota, anyway, the state troopers will routinely check logbooks at the way stations. Um, you know, and I did a little research on that issue prior to today. I know Minnesota has a pilot program where they're doing virtual way stations, where the police from their cruisers can actually weigh the vehicles from their car and pull over truckers that are overweight. That's interesting. So who monitors these drivers uh, along the way here? How does that work? Well, the companies are in charge of monitoring or self-compliance. Okay? Unfortunately, mm -hmm. in each state, there's just not enough funds or not enough people the state can employ to cover all of the trucks that are on the road. So in our state, for instance, I think they maybe have six way stations for the entire state, um, and they maybe have three different posts of the state troopers or three different offices. You know, Minnesota's a fairly large state um, with maybe 10 employees that are, that are looking at commercial motor vehicle inspection. Now, they don't need a reason to pull over a tractor trailer. They can just go ahead and pull them over mm -hmm. and do a commercial inspection right on site. Uh, you know, but the stark reality is it's mostly self-governance and you know, the police can't possibly keep these guys in compliance. Just, just as a quick aside, are you finding that GPS, these uh, GPS devices are being used in these trucks to to somehow help monitor the time frames and the distances and all that to, to get at all that? Right. There are several different models, but I think what you're referring to is the black box um, that I think became standard in the mid-90s on all tractors. Um, and that'll monitor things as uh, engine speed, uh, actual speed, uh, braking and emergency brakes. And that stuff's all recorded in a black box that's based on what engine type the tractor is. There's also GPS and Qualcomm systems. And usually you see those in the bigger trucking companies. And that'll all be standard. So 
there are several trucking companies that say have a thousand to five thousand trucks on the road. They'll have a great big war room at their headquarters, um, and they can track the movement of each one of their trucks by this Qualcomm. And the Qualcomm also gives the trucker the ability to email back to headquarters and back and forth. So yes, they do. They can track it that way. And and again, that takes us back to the preservation letter. You're going to want them to preserve all that information when you first get the case, because it may be uh, it may be uh, prudent to do that. Sure. Because it may be an issue in your case. Absolutely. But it, but again, Pete, you touched on the fact that the government allows truck these trucker logs to be destroyed after six months. Right. So, so really, it's it's very important to to if you have a claim with the truck company, it's really important to to let them know that. It's almost malpractice not to send the preservation letter. Yeah. In my opinion, because there's so much information you can receive from the trucking company. For instance, I may not need the driver's log to reconstruct his last 48 hours. I can ask for trip tickets, toll tickets, way receipts, gas tickets. I had a case back in my insurance days where it was a wrongful death case, and driver fatigue was at issue in the case. Um, their contention was that the tractor trailer crossed the center line. And what they did through way, way receipts, so every time you go into a way station, you'll get a receipt that you were there. And it's date and timestamp, so we know exactly where he is. So we don't need his driver's logs. They took fuel receipts, and then they calculated based on these weight receipts and fuel receipts, that this guy was, in fact, on the road for something like 24 hours. And he was avoiding the interstates. He was taking backcountry roads, which is where the accident occurred, to avoid detection by the cops. Mm -hmm. And this goes on routinely. Interesting. Hmm. And now, do you find there's a difference between the bigger trucking companies and the smaller companies in terms of, well, record-keeping and just all all of those issues we talked about? Absolutely. Absolutely. I have, I just took depositions in a case last week of a mom and pop trucking company and it's virtually impossible for them to follow all the rules. Um, whereas the big trucking companies are going to have compliance officers and safety directors who are in charge of each section of the federal regulations to make sure they're in compliance. So if you have a big trucking company, more than likely they are following the rules. However, that's not to say they don't miss Miss rules sometimes. Well, but they're more likely to have a risk manager and right, those types right. of... Yeah. So, so the, 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 the good news is the bigger companies have better record keeping. So uh, from a standpoint of being a plaintiff attorney, for example, you can maybe spot things and, uh, and identify issues that can help you with your case. Correct. Uh, on the other hand, the small mom and pops are so disorganized that uh, it, it's more probable, I guess, that you can really find them at fault, but they probably don't have a lot of coverage. <laughs> well, again, the minimum coverage would be seven fifty. Yeah. You know, the bigger guys uh, have excess coverage, and well, they'll have excess coverage. Right. I can think of one account that's that we had back in my insurance days. They probably had forty million dollars worth of coverage. Well, yeah, that's that's very true. Now, what about? We talked about a lot about this, you know, these letters to be sent out and, and the issues of altering and hiding these documents and even destroying them. How big a problem is that, though, in the real world? It's only a problem if they get caught, Larry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's exactly well, right. Here's another distinction, uh, and I'll give you an example of a big trucking company. They have what they call early response teams, okay, mm-hmm. in every state that they haul in. If there's an accident at 2 o'clock in the morning, 
they will know what's happened in that case and have someone on the ground immediately. And sometimes they fly the claims manager out there. And a lot of these bigger trucking companies, the claims managers are lawyers. Okay, so they're protecting themselves from day one. Within 48 hours, they know how the the wreck has happened, okay? And they have all the documents they need, and if they have to, they hire an expert who does an accident reconstruction. All that will be done in 48 hours, and in the case of the reconstruction, probably 30 days. Now, in the catastrophic case, as a plaintiff lawyer, I'm usually not seeing the client until two months after the accident. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Already behind the eight ball. Sure. Mm -hmm. Okay, so... Do they alter documents? I would say the biggest area you see that is prog- probably in the log books mm-hmm. where the drivers are keeping two sets. Um, <laughs> and that's something where the company's not telling them to do that. It's just, you know, with the rules the way they are and the economy the way it is, I think you're going to see more and more of drivers driving over hours. They're just trying to protect their, their jobs, I guess. Huh? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Pete, when it comes to being in court with some of these large companies, are you... Um, often up against some very experienced, high-caliber defense attorneys? Absolutely. These guys that they hire are specialists. Mm -hmm. Just about all of them belong to an organization called Truck Insurance Defense Association, or TIDA for short. And they have seminars probably twice a year that that just focus on trucking topics. Interesting. And defending them. Yeah. yeah. Right, and defending them. Well, how do you come out on top when you're up against these huge trucking companies with all these huge resources, and you're this plaintiff attorney out there trying to fight that battle? How do you come out on top? Now, listen, I'm sure they're all listening to you to learn your secrets, so be careful. <laughs> how do you do that? Well, as Anne-Marie knows, I belong to a couple organizations of plaintiff lawyers that do or focus on trucking litigation. And I can tell you the secret to any good lawyer's success is to have a method of how to try these cases. Mm-hmm. And it's usually found in the documents. Again, that's why the preservation letter is so important. Otherwise, the documents are going to get destroyed if you don't preserve them. And looking at those documents, you can build a case of what the trucking company didn't do. Well, you know, you've stressed that all, all morning now, this, this issue of keeping, make, making sure that these records are preserved, uh, because that's really where the story is told. It really is, because yeah. the documents aren't going to lie. Okay. Um, interesting. Very interesting. Well, we're going we're to talk a little bit more about this, but we're going to take a quick break right now. When we return, we'll uh, get more into the trucking litigation issues with attorney Peter Kessner, and of course, with my co-host, Anne-Marie Von Bang. We'll be right back. This is Ringler Radio. Legal information, trends, and topics from Ringler Associates, the undisputed leader in structured settlements for more than 30 years. Since 1975, Ringler Associates has provided the finest structured settlement services to injured parties and their attorneys. Experience counts. Over 140,000 cases structured. This is Ringler Radio from Ringler Associates, placing more than $20 billion in structures over the past 30 years at one of the few companies that truly enjoys the trust of all parties in the settlement process. This is Ringler Radio, celebrating three years on the Legal Talk Network with topics important to the legal community. Did you know you could download Ringler Radio to your iPod? Just go to iTunes and subscribe to Ringler Radio. It's free. 
Did you know the number of listeners to Ringler Radio doubled in 2008? Thanks to our loyal listeners and welcome to all our new listeners as well. Welcome back to Ringler Radio. I'm your host, Larry Cohen. I'm glad you joined us again today. We're talking about the ins and outs of trucking litigation, and my co-host is my colleague and one of my favorite Ringler Associates, Anne-Marie Von Bank from Minnesota, and our special guest is attorney Peter Kessner from the law firm of Crawford & Kessner, headquarters in Minneapolis, St. Paul, right there in the Twin Cities. Well, Peter, we always like to get real-life stories from our guests. What are some of the more complicated trucking cases that come to mind that you can kind of tell our audience about in, 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 a, brief, in a brief manner? Sure. This goes back to my insurance days uh, when I worked for an excess insurer of a large trucking company um, who's now bankrupt. Uh, They were out of northwest Arkansas. (laughs) Uh, And they shall remain remain nameless. They're in a catastrophic wreck crossing the mountain passes in California, snowy roads, driver crosses the center line, hits a Honda Accord, pushes it into a ditch, now, there are two people in the Accord. It's a mother who's the passenger, 60-year-old woman, and the driver, a young man, about 40 years old. Uh, horrible, horrible orthopedic injuries. Now, a lawyer from a small town up in Northern California gets a case, and I don't think he probably was a solo practitioner. In fact, I know he was, mm-hmm. and probably handled things other than auto wrecks. Um, he probably did estate planning, all sorts of stuff you'd expect in a small town. But this underscores the importance of knowing the federal regulations this story. When I received this case, the trucking company had it notified us, even though they were supposed to. When we went out and found this case on a random audit, I took the case over and pushed mediation. Um, and, of course, I took my local structured settlement guy with me to the mediation. Awesome. And um, they didn't, this plaintiff lawyer did not do any discovery. We All he we did was exchange interrogatories, which was the opening phase of discovery. He didn't take any depositions. Now, interestingly, on the police report, there was a passenger listed in our truck, which is odd for two reasons. One, they had a no-passenger rule at the trucking company, um, and there wasn't a variance. Usually, they'll have the trucker sign a waiver or the passenger sign a waiver to allow them to drive in the truck. Um, it had to be a girlfriend. Well, that was the story, Larry. That's what we had heard. It was his girlfriend. Although, when I looked at the date of birth, they didn't match. You know, the driver was probably 61 and the gal was 19. Yeah. So mm-hmm. something didn't flush out there. But plaintiff lawyer handled this like an automobile accident case. You know, where it was very straightforward and there aren't many issues. And he didn't follow up with this passenger witness. He thought, look, the trucker's at fault. I don't need to prove anything else. He clearly crosses the center line. So he he ignored that. And we went out, um, and with the help of my local Ringler broker, we settled the case uh, in excess of $2 million for both parties. Wow. And he structured that much. Tremendous. Okay. I get back, fly back to Minnesota, my home base, call the trucking company safety director, advise him, you can take this one off your ledger. We got the case resolved. And I hear a big sigh on the other end. It's like, wow, it's a good thing we settled that case. I'm like, you're right. This is the worst injuries I've seen in 10 years handling trucking claims. And he said, no, no, that's not what I'm talking about. I said, well, what do you mean? 
he said, well, that 19-year-old girl he had in the car or his truck, it wasn't his girlfriend. She was a prostitute. And I said, really? It's a good thing we settled that case. He said, no, that's not the bad part. I'm like, I don't know if I want to hear this. He goes, well, we think she was driving the truck when the accident happened. So the importance and the moral of the story is dot all your I's and cross your T's with these trucking cases because that case was probably worth two to three times more than we settled it for because of that fact. Amazing. Interesting. Interesting. Well, you, Pete, you know, we, t- we touched a little bit on this, but um, what, what needs to happen in the trucking community to reduce accidents? Well, I mean, that's other, than, other than all this excess driving that they may or may not be doing. Amory, that's not to say there's a lot of good trucking companies out there who are following the rules. Mm-hmm. And like anything else, it's the few that give the whole the bad name. They're just hiring older prostitutes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to touch that one. Okay. <laughs> what needs to happen is there needs to be more enforcement or compliance by the industry. Now, I just recently had an email from a colleague of mine down in Missouri who said these, these trucking, there are a lot of trucking associations or trade associations. They're lobbying Congress to increase the weight allowance on roads. And currently, on federal highways, you can only carry 80,000 pounds, and that's fully laden. Truck, cargo, and trailer can't exceed 80,000 pounds. You can get a variance in-state like in the logging industry in northern Minnesota, certain times of the year you can carry up to 95,000 pounds, but you can't do it on the federal highways because the government won't give you any highway funds. Mm-hmm. Well, the trucking associations are lobbying Congress to allow bigger weights. Of course, bigger weights mean slower break times, worse accidents, um, and that's something you know, us plaintiff lawyers have to get together to prevent is bigger weight, you know, which mm-hmm. means sometimes double, triple trailers. There's no question they're more dangerous than just, you know, a single combination unit. Mm-hmm. So to, to answer the question in short, I think there needs to be more legislation and the insurance, uh, the minimum amounts of insurance, insurance probably needs to be raised. And Anne-Marie, I know you've been involved in a lot of catastrophic litigation as a structured settlement consultant. And mm-hmm. $750,000 doesn't go a long way to, in today's with today's medical call. Yeah, not in today's world. Not at all. You know, you, and I, it looks like we're entering an era where we're going to be looking at more regulation because that seems to be where the, the whole government is heading now, regulation. Uh, and at the same time, with the economy doing so bad, there's going to be uh, tugs and pulls upon them to loosen up a bit. So it's going to be interesting to see how they all cope with that. Right. How it checks out. You've been on both sides of these trucking cases, Peter. How does being a plaintiff's attorney differ from being a defense attorney? What, what's your perspective on that? Well, I can, I'll tell you, one pro and one con. Mm-hmm. The pro of being a plaintiff's lawyer is that there's more money out there for for us to collect. Mm-hmm. Okay, so in that that aspect, usually the parties aren't going to be underinsured. Mm-hmm. From a defense perspective, um, it is so much easier to poke holes in my case as a plaintiff lawyer. Defense doesn't have to prove anything; mm-hmm. they just have to poke holes in my case, so I can't carry the burden. Plaintiff has the burden of proof. So from that aspect, it's much harder to prove your case, particularly when you have experienced defense lawyer on the other side poking mm-hmm. holes in it. And when you've destroyed all the documents. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and of course, the defense attorney can say, what documents? Right, I don't know exactly. what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, you know, what has been, you, you mentioned the 
case you handled um, 10 years ago. What's What's been your experience um, as a plaintiff lawyer on the structured settlement side of trucking cases? Well, I think they're very useful because usually these trucking cases are catastrophic cases where there's probably going to be future medical care and future medical costs. Insurance may not cover. Mm-hmm. And, you know, sh- structured settlements in those kinds of cases make absolute sense. Um, also, minors cases. If there's a minor involved, we almost always structure uh, settlements for them. Uh, I find it useful for me in structuring my fees uh, at certain times of the year. So mm-hmm. do you find yourself recommending structured settlements uh, even in today's environment? Do you find that there's a safety net there that probably isn't around in other other types of financial investments? Right. Without getting too much into the financial investments, I mean... Can you think of anything safer at this point? No, I, I think no. That, that's a good answer. <laughs> right, I mean, seriously, you know, particularly since it's you know guaranteed at this point, and you're you're investing with A plus rated or triple A plus rated mm-hmm. companies. Uh, Anne Marie and I just had a case where the grandfather of the miners was concerned because of the economy. Mm-hmm. Well, how do we know this is going to be safe investment vehicle, and it's going to be there when? the child turns 18 for college. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Anne-Marie was able to give a good dissertation on that and convinced them that this is the safest thing for you. That's why she's on the board now. Right. <laughs> <laughs> she's doing a great job. Well, well one, one of the things, Pete, that you really made clear today, I think, is for people out there involved in trucking cases, how important it is to get counsel involved early and it really, really get on top of it really is. It's like I said, the insurance company and some of these bigger trucking companies will have their investigation done in 30 days, reserve set, and then they put it aside. They forget mm-hmm. about it. Mm-hmm. You are behind the eight ball as a plaintiff's lawyer, not just in trucking cases, but any major litigation, because the defense is already going to know what's happened. In fact, there was a seminar I went to. It was a plaintiff's-only seminar with uh, AAJ, and the defense lawyer spoke at it. And the title of his uh, presentation was, I know what happened and you don't. <laughs> mm-hmm. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> well, this has been a terrific discussion, Peter. I'm awful glad we had you on the show. And anyone out there who's interested in this kind of um, litigation, um, you know where to go. Peter, how would somebody get in touch with you? Well, I can be found on the website. I have two websites. It's com or www.mntruckaccident.com. We handle cases in all 50 states. I do that in conjunction with co-counsel here in Minnesota, the McEwen Law Firm. Um, and the attorney, Greg McEwen, has uh, national exposure doing gas explosion cases and has tons of seven-figure verdicts across the country. Or you can call us directly, numbers on the website. Terrific, terrific. And Anne-Marie, if someone wanted to talk to you, how would they do that? Um, well, same thing. We You can locate us on our website at wranglerassociates.com, and our number is located on the website also. Terrific. And if you're a first-time listener, you should know, and those of you who have listened for a while certainly know, that every Ringler radio show can be downloaded from our website, wranglerassociates.com, or from legaltalknetwork.com. Or you can even get them from iTunes, which I think is really cool, because you can download it on your iPod, and you can listen to it while you're driving that big truck. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> right down the road. Just pay attention to the road. Well, Peter, again, thanks for being with us. And everyone else, thanks for listening. Go out and have a great day. Thanks for listening to Ringler Radio. 
Ringler Associates, experience counts. Since 1975, Ringler Associates has provided the finest structured settlement services to injured parties and their attorneys. Ringler Radio is made possible in part by the life markets that issue structured settlement annuities, including Allstate, American General Structured Settlements, The Hartford, Liberty Life, MetLife, New York Life, John Hancock, and Prudential. Prudential. 